This is the Moira Pentecostal Church podcast, providing you with sound biblical teaching. New content will be available every week throughout 2015. We hope you will be encouraged, challenged, and blessed by this ministry. Before we, we go anywhere, I'd really like to honor your pastor. Is this okay? So, Pastor David, will you come up here, please? I have a small gift I brought for you. Don't worry, it's not a bomb. <laughs> In fact, I brought you two gifts. One is a Jewish calendar. Very good. And you know, the Jewish calendar, we start in Rosh Hashanah, which is usually in September, October. And uh, it starts, you know, uh, from September till the next year of September. And it starts, of course, with the city of Tel Aviv. Yeah. This is the beautiful city of Tel Aviv. This is how it is today. This is how it was 100 years ago. Oh. Almost the same, right? <laughs> and, and, uh, and basically, every month, it has the Jewish feast, the Jewish biblical feast. Like, uh, for example, in December, while you were celebrating Christmas, we were celebrating Hanukkah. Mm-hmm. The Feast of Lights. So it gives all the, the scriptures and the biblical feast, like uh, in uh, just last month, just a few couple of weeks ago in April, we were celebrating Pesach, which is Passover. And it gives you the days and the scriptures so you can keep up with us with all these Jewish feasts and Jewish holidays. <laughs> and, uh, and of course, it has beautiful pictures of the country like another. Whenever you have rainy seasons here, think about Tel Aviv and Tel Aviv <laughs> Beach, you know. <laughs> now, I'm trying to advertise. Don't rub it in, brother. <laughs> I'm trying to advertise for you to come to Israel. Yes. And I'd like your pastor to lead a group to Israel. Will you come? <laughs> see? Yeah. So we'll see you this year in Tel Aviv, right? Yes. The group. <laughs> Amen. So this is what the first Thank gift. Thank you. Now, the second gift, you have to open it. But don't worry, I said it's, it's not ticking, don't worry. <laughs> Will you go ahead and open it? Yes, go ahead. It's, it's, it's already open. So it's open. Yeah, yeah. Special gift from me to you and your family. And uh, if you would like to show it, this is um, the city of Jerusalem. And it has a menorah in gold. And on the top, it says in Hebrew, Yeshua, mm-hmm. Jesus. Yes. And on the bottom, it says in English, Yeshua, the light of the world. Thank you. Thank Amen. You so Thank so you. this is my prayer. Thank you. That the light of Yeshua, the light of Jesus, will always shine through you and your wife and your family and your church, that you will be a, a beautiful testimony of the Lord in this city. Thank you. Thank you Amen. so much. Thank you, Pastor Robert. Appreciate that. God bless you. Thank you. So in a few seconds, I'd like to show to you a video. It's a DVD I brought from Israel. And um, just in a few seconds, get ready. <laughs> and um, basically, uh, we... we um, we lead uh, uh, Hebrew-speaking uh, Jewish believers in Tel Aviv, a congregation called Adonai Rui, the Lord is my shepherd. And we have also an evangelistic center called Dugit. And Dugit in Hebrew means a small fishing boat. 
We are fishers of men in the heart of Tel Aviv. And we do outreaches all the time. And what has happened is, for the last four years, we have been joining an Arab-speaking congregation in the city of Haifa, which is on the north by Carmel Mountain. And every December, every December, every year, the municipality of Haifa, they close this neighborhood called Vadi Nisnas because they are doing a big celebration for the two holidays, uh, Hanukkah and Christmas. So they close this neighborhood and they have a big parade, big fair, and thousands of Israelis, Jewish and Arab, come for this. There is a parade there. There is a wonderful thing. And what we do is, here we are Jewish and Arab born-again believers praying together, and we welcome the thousands of people who come with a free cup of coffee. Well, that's unusual because in Israel you get nowhere free cup of coffee. <laughs> you pray for every cup of coffee, and there's no free refills. So... We welcome the people with free cup of coffee, and we have T-shirts. And the T-shirts in Hebrew says, Yesh Tikva, which means there is hope in Hebrew and Arabic. So when people come and see us, and they can see we're Jews and Arabs, but we're smiling, we're happy, and they can see we love one another, automatically it provokes people to ask questions. And we're able to share the gospel with them. And all I can tell you, in every month, every uh, Saturday that this has happened every for the last four years, we have shared literally with thousands, with thousands of Israelis, Jews and Arabs. We've given them literature, New Testament, Bibles in Hebrew, in Arabic, in Russian, and, uh, and, and even in Spanish and, and French because, you know, there's many uh, new immigrants. <laughs> and all I can tell you, the harvest is ready. You'll see it, Jewish and Arab believers pray, uh, working together for the kingdom of God, and we see, uh, we see fruits. And so we have tried to summarize four years in four minutes. So be patient. Also, it talks about a year and a half ago when we had the war, during the war with Gaza. Remember all the rockets were falling in? What we did, we went out and reached out to the children in the hospitals and so. So just enjoy. Go ahead. In December 2013, we had this wonderful opportunity to join our brothers from the city of Haifa during the Chagim to preach the gospel to the thousands of Israelis who came to participate in this. My daughter. We managed to hand out thousands of books, Bibles, New Testaments, DVDs, and other material that changed people's lives. We watched as the fruit of this outreach grew, as many relationships were formed, and those who were willing, they gave their hearts to the Lord. This new bond that we formed with our brothers grew and grew, giving us Courage to partner again in a unique outreach, sending Israelis, both Jewish and Arab believers, to an Arab neighbor country. We are able to witness to all these poor stricken people from Syria who have crossed the border in search of refuge. This became a great witness for Arabs in the Middle East that Israelis, even Jews, were crossing into an Arab country with the gospel, bringing hope and comfort to the Syrian people and demonstrating reconciliation between Jews and Arabs in the Middle East. And when everything seems to be going so well, all of a sudden, out of nowhere, war. What started with trouble in the West Bank turned into an all-out war between the Hamas and the Gaza Strip and Israel. We would run multiple times during the day into the bomb shelters from siren to siren. It was awful. But we could not just sit and do nothing. 
Despite being attacked ourselves, we were pressed in our hearts to visit all the Israeli families along the Gaza border where the most hearted with our team go down with games, activities, songs, and another mission. That's in the bomb we shelter. even went into the nearby hospital to see how we could That's help. my daughter. I found a young boy who was so affected by the chaos that he couldn't even speak. I just sat there reading to him and slowly watched as the power of love and attention gave him the courage to open up. We saw so many sad faces that turned bright with joy and the atmosphere changed from darkness to light just by being there, showing that we care. And despite the conflict, we were even able to bring care packages to the soldiers serving on the front lines. And it was during that time that we became even more dedicated to the partnership we had in Haifa. We knew that this year we needed to share with a new courage, new love, and new passion like never before. Here we are Jews and Arabs, worshiping together praying for one another, loving one another, especially now in such a time with so much pressure and turmoil around us. We are telling people there is hope in the Messiah Yeshua. And this is the reason we are here. We are doing everything we can to say and to say to all the world that peace is only through Yeshua Messiah. No peace. ليشوه <laughs> בלב של העם היהודי, ואני בטוח שגם בלב של העם הערבי, יש את הרצון שכן יהיה שלום, שכן המלחמה והשנאה תפסיק. אבל איך אפשר לעשות את זה? אי אפשר. רק דרך אחת, ישוע. אמן. We can break down any barriers. Thank you. Shalom. Hallelujah. Did you like it? Yes. Praise the Lord. God is good. Amen. Amen. Well, today we're going to read from Psalm 90, 90. But before we do that, uh, I want to encourage you. I brought some um, uh, uh, copies of my newsletters. And uh, really, I want you to encourage you to come and, and take them, take them home and read about us. And also I have, uh, I brought with me uh, family brochures with a picture of my daughters. So uh, please uh, take them and put them in your Bible and, uh, and pray for us. And take as many as you want. I'm flying back home tomorrow and I don't want to take anything back, okay? It's going to be heavy. So please uh, take as many as you want and pray for us. That's the purpose. We got, I like to read from Psalm 90, and um, I'll start with the verse uh, 1, um, with 1, 2, and 4. Lord, you have been our dwelling place 
in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth, uh, and, or ever you had formed the earth and the world, even from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. Amen. Verse 4, For a thousand years in your sight are like yesterday when it passed, and like a watch in the night. Verse 12, So teach us to number our days, that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Now let me stop here. You see, I uh, read my Bible in Hebrew. Hebrew is my mother tongue. English is my second language. And I want you to know, in the Hebrew language, there is such a richness. And I really want to encourage you to study the Hebrew language. <laughs> You're not sure about that. Okay. Well, let me stop you for a second. How many of you, when you sing, you sing and you say hallelujah? Do you do that? Every time you sing hallelujah, you speak Hebrew. Well, in case you didn't know, hallelujah in Hebrew means let us praise. And yeah, I short for Jehovah, Jehovah. So every time you say hallelujah, you're saying in Hebrew, let us praise the Lord. Hallelujah. hallelujah. <laughs> now, when you pray, do you say in the end, amen? Yes. Every time you say amen, you speak Hebrew. You didn't know this. Okay, you see, for in Hebrew, we take three letters, and from three letters, we make words. So we have the word amen, and the same word we have for emun. Emun in Hebrew means trust. We have another word, emunah, we just add a in the end, and emunah means faith. So basically, every time you pray and you say amen, you're saying, we trust God in faith, it shall be done. Amen. amen. See, it's good to praise the Lord in Hebrew, and it's good to pray in Hebrew. You're on the right track. <laughs> now, you know... By the way, that's the language we're going to speak up there. Uh. <laughs> You're not sure about that, okay. Well, I encourage you to practice until we get there. <laughs> Anyhow, let's go back to the Word of God. In verse 12, it says, So teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. And the word gain there in Hebrew is navi. Navi is the word for to bring, to gain, but also is a word for a prophet or to prophesy. Same word. When I read this verse in Hebrew, this is what I understood. Teach us to number our days that we may gain prophetically a heart of wisdom. You see, I believe we live in the last days. We live in the, we live in the prophetic time. I believe we live in a time where we're seeing the prophecies being fulfilled in front of our eyes. Amen. I believe we live in a time that we need the wisdom of God on a daily basis. Amen? Yeah. Well, you will say, well, I don't believe in all this prophetic stuff. You don't? Come to the front, I'm going to lay hands on you and pray for you and rebuke you. <laughs> to wake you up. We live in a very prophetic time. It's exciting times. You will say, okay, why are you saying that? Good question. I'm a Jew. I like to ask questions. Here's the answer. Next verse. Return, O Lord, how long will it be? You see, I believe in all my heart that the King of kings and the Lord of lords is coming back soon. Amen. Do you believe that? Yep. If you don't believe it, you came to the wrong meeting. <laughs> you came to the wrong church. We believe the King of kings and the Lord of lords is coming back soon. Amen? Amen. Amen? 
Now, until he comes back, we have a job to do. You may say, okay, Javi, I got your message. Well, what's all this prophetic stuff? What this has to do? Okay, that's a good question. So let's go back to the Bible. Well, let's go to Ezekiel 36. Ezekiel 36. I'll read a few verses at home. You can read the whole chapter. I'll read a few verses. In Ezekiel 36, verse 17, it says, Son of man, when the house of Israel dwelt in their own land, they defiled it by their own ways and deeds. Verse 18, Therefore, I poured out my fury on them for the blood they have shed on the land and for the idols which they have defiled it. So I scattered them among the nations and they were dispersed throughout the countries. I judged them, I them, I judged them according to their ways and deeds. Verse 22, Therefore, Say to the house of Israel, thus says the Lord God, I do not do this for your sake, O house of Israel, but for my holy name's sake, which you have profaned among the nations wherever you went. Verse 23, And I will sanctify my great name, which you have profaned among the nations, uh, which you have profaned in the midst, and the nations shall know that I am the Lord, says the Lord God, when I am hallowed in you before their eyes, for I will take you from the, among the nations, get you of all countries, and bring you into your own land. Amen. Let me stop here. So here we have this beautiful prophet of God. Can you imagine? When did he, by the way, when did he live? 500 years ago? No. 1,000 years ago? No. He lived about 600 BC. That's 2,600 years ago. And here's this prophet coming to his people. And can you imagine the people? They saw the prophet of God. And he says, I have the word of the Lord, you people. And they all get excited. And he stands there and said, okay, people of Israel, my people, because of our sin, God is going to judge us. He's going to take us and disperse us to all, all countries. Great news. <laughs> Think the people were excited? They probably were ready to take the pick of the stone and stone him. How would you feel if I came to your city and said such, such a word of the Lord to you guys? Will you be excited? <laughs> no. But anyhow, here's Ezekiel, the prophet, prophesying to his people and telling them what's going to happen. And then he said, one day, God is going to have mercy on us, and then he's going to take us from all the countries and bring us to our own land. Those, this prophecy I just read to you, just think, this prophecy... For 2,000 years, what was he doing? Something very important. It was collecting dust generation after generation in the library. Until one day, that prophecy is being fulfilled in front of our eyes. What am I talking about? 14 of May, 1948. When Israel declared David Ben-Gurion, our first prime minister, David Ben-Gurion proclaimed independence in Tel Aviv. You see, God is a faithful God. Amen. What he promises, he fulfills. Amen? Amen? God is saying here to the people of Israel, I'm going to deal with you. I'm going to take you to the nations. But one day I'm going to have mercy on you. I'm going to bring you back to the land. And I'm going to do this, not for your sake, Israel, because how great you are. No. I'm going to do this for my holy name's sake. To show what? To show all the nations that I am God. Hallelujah. God is God. He is in charge and he's in control and he has the last word. That's 
You see, this whole issue about Israel, it's not a political thing. Oh, Avi, you're talking politics. No, I'm not. I'm just reading the scriptures, and I believe the word of God. And who gets the glory from all this? God. That's the bottom line. See, God said it. He will do this for his holy name's sake. And to prove to the nations, and to prove to all the people of this earth, what? That his word is true. Yes and amen. So you can argue as much as you want about Israel. You can say it's controversial. Well, let's argue the Bible. Is the Bible controversial? You see, the point I'm making here is very simple. God is a faithful God. What he promises, he fulfills. He is a good God. And this, this book is not just a book. It's the word of God. And it's the truth forever and ever and ever. And who gets the glory? He gets the glory. Amen? Amen. So far, so good? <laughs> Wonderful. Well, let me share with you a little bit my testimony. Is it okay you allow testimonies here, Pastor? Yep. Okay. You see, I was born in Jaffa in Tel Aviv to a Jewish family. My parents uh, were born in, in Bulgaria. My father was born in Sofia, Bulgaria, and he remembers as a little boy when the Second World War and the Nazis came into Sofia, Bulgaria, took over. He and his brothers, they had to run to the forest and live in the forest. And basically, they were living there and even bringing food to the partisans who were fighting the Nazis at that time. And then when the war was over, he came back home, and he was so happy to see his other brothers and his mother. His father died during that time, the Second World War. And um, then he came to talk to his mother, and he said, Mama, um, I want to go home. This is not home, meaning I want to go back home to Israel. So he and his brother, they joined one of the uh, uh, youth, youth groups, and they took a ship from Europe to Israel in 1947. Well, in 1947, at that time, it was under the British mandate. And at that time, the British, British mandate and the soldiers did not allow Jews into the country. Very, very few were allowed to. So here he was in this illegal ship, so to speak. And he was caught by the seashores of Tel Aviv. He was not allowed in. So they, the British soldiers took him to Cyprus, to an island called Cyprus. And they put him there in, in detention camp. And here there are thousands of Jews in this camp in the island of Cyprus waiting for that day. What day? The, the day of declaration of independence in May 14, 1948. When David Ben-Gurion, our leader, who became our first prime minister, just three, four days before this, he was under tremendous pressure. Because the Arab nation said, if Israel will declare independence, we will declare, we declare war. We're going to kill all the Jews and throw them to the sea, and there will never be Israel. And uh, he sent one of his uh, best friends to America to find out what the Americans will do. So the guy met with the marshal, and the guy said to him, tell David Ben-Gurion, tell your country not to declare independence, because if you do that, that's suicide. Wait. So he came back and told him that, and David Ben-Gurion was very concerned. Then he went to one of his friends, who is very good with statistics and logistics, and he said, listen, you go to the army. What are our chances against all our neighbors? And the guy started laughing. He said, okay, David, listen. In the north, we have Lebanon, Syria, 
In the east, we have Jordan, Saudi Arabia. In the south, we have Egypt, Libya, Tunis, and then join all the other countries, Iraq, Iran, all these Arab Muslim countries, those millions who have declared war against us. They have millions of soldiers, guns, bullets, tanks, cannons, Air Force, Navy, you name it, they have it. And we, what do we have? Zero. So David looked at him, what are our chances? <laughs> he said, you know what? 50-50. <laughs> he, he didn't want to discourage him. So David, just I'm talking two, two days, 48 hours. Before that, he was so discouraged, he didn't know what to do. I mean, he wasn't a religious Jew. He was a very intellectual person, but he was a fighter. But he remembers a little boy that his father always made him to go to the synagogue and study the scriptures, the Hebrew language. And that's how he knew the Hebrew language when he immigrated to Israel as a young boy years ago. So he went to the scriptures, to those prophecies in the scriptures. And he read them again and again. He was so inspired. The next day he went to every of his leader from the party and told them, listen, God promised this land to our people long time ago. I'm going to declare independence. Are you with me or against me? <laughs> Nobody wants to be against David. I mean, he was a big leader. They said, okay, David, you do it, we'll support you. And he won one by one and got all the support of everybody. And they said, okay, we have 24 hours to prepare a place. They found an art gallery in downtown Tel Aviv that half of it was underground and there is no windows. They said, oh, this would be a good bunker in case they, they bomb us. <laughs> and well, let's do it there. They didn't have carpet, so they got the carpet from a, from a shop. And then they didn't have chairs, so they went to all the coffee shops in Tel Aviv. We have beautiful coffee shops, by the way, in Tel Aviv. They got all the, all the, all the they said, we need the chairs for a special meeting. So they, called, they took all the chairs from all the coffee shops to this art gallery and they prepared that place for the independence. So now they sent a small piece of paper to all the dignitaries in Tel Aviv and the leaders say, come to a secret meeting on Friday afternoon, May 14, 1948. Now that's funny, asking Jews to keep a secret. <laughs> of course, everybody knew about it. So here David Ben-Gurion come to this room, I mean, it's, it's half of it, and they were like, Somehow more than 200 people packed there, and he comes in, he does this, everybody sit down, he takes a piece of paper, he reads the Declaration of Independence, and they all cry. And he said, it's time to sign. Everybody sign, and a miracle happened. Why? See, we have a saying in Israel, where you have two Jews, you have four opinions. <laughs> And here there's about 200, more than 200 Jews in one room, and they're in total agreement and no arguments and no discussion. Now that's a miracle by itself. <laughs> they're all standing there, almost want to cry. And after they sign, they stand up and they start singing the Hatikva, the song called The Hope, that for 2,000 years we've been waiting to come back home. And this became later on a national anthem. They sang it. They cried. There was a rabbi there who blew the shofar and thank God that we and did a, gave a blessing. Thank God we have come to such a time as this. And they all were happy. The meeting was over. They came out and they all went home for Friday night Shabbat. For us, Shabbat is a big thing. On Friday night, 
all the shops are closed, everything is closed, all the families, religious and non-religious, get together around the table, we have a meal, we do a blessing for the bread and the wine, and have a time of Shabbat, a time of resting, family time. And everybody went to sleep, everybody was rejoicing, and Saturday morning, 12 hours, even, not even 12 hours after that, the Egyptian Air Force bombed Tel Aviv, and people were killed. This was our welcome party to the neighborhood. You see, if you come to Israel, it's a beautiful country. It's a very safe country. It's beautiful. I, I, I encourage you to come and see that. Just remember that we live in a bad neighborhood. <laughs> Can we exchange neighborhoods? You take mine, I take yours. <laughs> a miracle happened in 1948. Meanwhile, my father and thousands of Jews in the island of Cyprus, they were praying and praying for the day. And when this happened, they were so excited and they were waiting for the ships to bring them home. There were also almost more than a million Jews all in all the Arab countries. They knew if they stay, they would be slaughtered. So they fled and left everything behind and took their packages and fled into the land of Israel because now we have a home to be. And not, we don't have to be under the Muslim, Muslim regime anymore. So what happened is, is a miracle. You see, um, as soon as David Ben-Gurion proclaimed independence, all our neighbors declared war. Now in the practical, they should in a couple hours slaughter us, kill us, and throw us to the sea. There was maybe about half a million, 600,000 Jews in the land of Israel at that time, surrounded with millions and millions of Muslim Arabs who declared jihad. In the practical, they had everything. The tanks, as I told you, the cannons, the air force, the everything. And we had nothing. In the natural, it should have happened. But they forgot something very important. God. See, my book says, he that keepeth Israel shall no slumber, no sleep. You see, somebody, please tell them they read the wrong book. See, this is not just a book. This is life. This is the truth. Amen? Amen? So God did miracles upon miracles upon miracles. I can tell you, my father, as soon as he got to Israel after the declaration of independence, he was so happy. He kissed the land. He said, I'm so happy to be back home. And the Jewish agency and the immigration said, Baruch Haba, welcome home. Now, here's a gun. Go and fight. Right away, he was, uh, I'd call it, enlisted. He had to go and fight the independence war. And uh, when the war was over, by the grace of God and the miracles of God, he came home to Jaffa where his family was there. And my mother was with her family, and they were neighbors. They met, and the rest is history. And that's the story of my parents. They, I was born and raised in Jaffa, in a Jewish family in, in Jaffa, Tel Aviv. And uh, when I uh, uh, finished um, my high school, I joined the army. In Israel, it's compulsory. Everybody goes to the army. The boys for three years and the girls for two years. Yes, also the girls have to go to the army. And trust me, they do a wonderful job, ladies. And uh, anyhow, I was four years in the Israeli Air Force. And when I finished my duty to my country, I uh, saved some money, and I said, okay, I was lost in sin in the world. I said, okay, 
I'll go to America, I will go and explore America. I'll go to every discotheque in town, every pub, nightclub, and I had plans to go to Las Vegas, gamble, and make a lot of money. <laughs> now, those who are laughing, you know that's not the truth. You lose money there, right? But you know, many times we are brainwashed by the media. You don't believe me? Okay. You know, if I could right now transport you in the spirit and take you to Tel Aviv, I will do that. Free ride, free ticket. And then I'll tell you, go to sleep and wake up at midnight and we'll go at midnight in downtown Tel Aviv because all the coffee shops and the restaurants of Tel Aviv are very alive. In fact, sometimes you have to stand by in queue just to get to one of the restaurants because Tel Aviv is a, is a live city and it's very, very safe. You can go downtown Tel Aviv at midnight and nothing will happen to you. It's very safe. But every time I travel overseas, like I was uh, last year in America and then and I went to Chicago and I said to them, can we go at midnight for ice cream in downtown Chicago? They go, oh, no, you cannot. Why not? Oh, it's too dangerous. I said, wow, you live in a dangerous country. <laughs> but in Israel, it's, it's, you can go, it's, nothing will happen to you. Now, the reason I'm telling you this, because I, I dare not to ask you, is it safe to go at midnight in downtown Belfast? <laughs> Yes, no. <laughs> the reason I'm saying this is that many times we're brainwashed by the media. We think about terrible things because this is what we hear from the media. Well, brothers and sisters, if you hear, you want to hear bad news, you go home and watch CNN and BBC. But I've come this morning to bring you good news. Because God is working in Israel and the whole Middle East. Now, let's go back to my story. I went to America as I was lost, and you know what I want to do. But I went first to visit my sister. My sister is married, and she's a born-again believer. I didn't know that. So after I was a couple of days with her at home, on, it was Sunday, and she said, uh, Avi, get, get dressed, we're getting dressed, we're going to church, we want you to come with us to church. I said, excuse me, what, what did you say? <laughs> church? What's wrong with you? Don't you know we Jews don't go to church? Are you crazy? What are you doing in a church? <laughs> now, the reason I say this to you, because that's the normal reaction you get when you ask a Jewish person to come to church with you. So don't take it personal. You're on the right track. Keep going. <laughs> that's what my sister did. And then she, of course, knew what I was thinking. She said, no, it's not what you think. You know, just come and check it out. Bring your Hebrew Bible. And she gave me a challenge. I love challenges. Give it to me. Okay, I said, okay, I'll go and check it out. And I took my Hebrew Bible. When I mean my Hebrew Bible, I mean the Old Testament only because we Jews have nothing to do with the New Testament. We have nothing to do with that. So I took my Hebrew Bible, my Hebrew Bible and I took with me my Israeli Air Force pride. <laughs> I said, I'm going to prove those Christians. They worship three gods. They are other worship. We Jews worship the one true God. I'm going to prove to them they're wrong. That's where, where my heart was. So I went to this church. We walked in, and then they had a beautiful praise and worship, just like we had just a few minutes ago. They had a beautiful choir, and they were singing, and I was in total shock. 
Because in my mind, I'm thinking, I'm going to see monks and nuns worshiping the idols of statue of St. Mary, St. Paul, St. Peter, all these saints, all this idol worship. But instead of that, I saw people worshiping Jesus, smiling and happy. And I expected to see dead people. <laughs> I was in total shock. And I'm like, I'm looking to my sister, where are all the monks and the nuns? <laughs> <laughs> and she goes, no, 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 you don't have this here. Just enjoy the music. I said, yeah, I'm enjoying it. And the more I was watching them worshiping the Lord, the more they provoked me to jealousy. Is it written somewhere in your Bible? Have you read your Bible lately? Romans? Provoked the Jew to jealousy? I was provoked to jealousy. You know what? Let me stop you for a second. You get nothing from what I said. I would like to give you this morning a job description. Free on the house. That's a free one. I'm giving you a job description, and this is your job description as a non-Jew. Provoke the Jew to jealousy. And please do a good job. <laughs> By doing that, all Israel shall be saved. Amen? And that's what happened to me. I was provoked to jealousy. And then after the worship was over, the preacher came to give a message. Now, I was sitting next to my sister, and I was getting very uncomfortable. I thought, oy vey, oh, no, he's going to talk about religion now. That's the last thing I need. I'm from the Tel Aviv. You know, in Tel Aviv, we're very proud. We have the best beaches, the best restaurants, coffee shops, nightclubs, never mind. But we have all those things. I mean, it's beautiful. And we think, we, we, if you want to believe in God... Go to Jerusalem. This is where we keep all the religious people in Jerusalem. <laughs> Leave us alone, you know? And this is how we think. I mean, it's never mind Tel Aviv from Jerusalem. is only 45 minutes drive. But it's like, this is a different country, you know? We're in Tel Aviv. So anyhow, this guy stood up and said, well, good morning, church. This morning, I just want to tell you that God loves you. God is love. He loves you. And he wants to have a relationship with you. And as I just heard those words, again, I was in total shock. I sat next to my sister. I'm very uncomfortable. I want to get out and leave. And I go to my sister like, what is this nonsense? What is he talking about? <laughs> and then she gives me this look. Little brother, be quiet. Sit down and be quiet and listen. And I realized I have no choice. You know, I'm staying in a house. <laughs> if I don't behave, she's going to kick me out of the house. I'll become homeless. So I sat there, and I'm like this, you know. But you know, the more I listened to him, the more it makes sense what he said. The more I listened to him, something happened here. I wanted to cry. But I was fighting it. In other words, I, uh, I was like this. No, I am from the Israeli Air Force. We don't, we men don't cry. <laughs> I'm just going to wait for him to finish his speech and I'm going to get out of here. And as soon as the service was over, I didn't come to the front to accept Jesus in the altar. I was one of the first ones leaving the church, out, <laughs> running away from God. Now, how many of you know you, you, you cannot run away from God? God is God. He's everywhere. In fact, if you're here in this room and you never heard this, this is the first time you hear this, this message of the good news, and you don't like what I say, and you want to get out, you know what? I, I have freedom. Get up and go to that room. <laughs> you know why? 
Because before the service, me and Pastor David, we prayed in that room, and God is there too. <laughs> you can't run away from God. Anyhow, I then after this, I said, enough, I don't want to hear any more of this. A couple of days later, somebody called me, said, Avi, we'd like to invite you. We have a special weekend retreat with all the young people. Come and have fun. So they all think about it. I went to my sister, I said, you know, those Christians called me, and they invite me to a weekend retreat, and they think I'm going to go there. There, they must be crazy. I know what they're going to do. They're going to take me to a monastery. <laughs> they're going to forcefully baptize me. I'm going to come out as a monk. <laughs> And who knows, the next thing I know, I have to do the crucifix, bow down to the Statue of Mary, maybe they will buy me a ticket to see the Pope, one-way ticket. I'm not going there. Now, I know it's, I'm teasing you and laughing, but this is how we just think about Christians. We don't trust Christians. Why? Because of history. Study what happened in Christendom, what happened with the Crusaders, with the Inquisition, with the Catholic Church. I mean, they tortured us, they killed us. Why should we trust Christians? We are taught this in school, the history of the Jewish people throughout those ages. Anyhow, my sister is laughing. She said, no, Avi, they, they're not going to take me to a, mon take you to a monastery. <laughs> they're going to take you to a weekend retreat. You have fun. Go and have fun. They have sports. They have basketball. Oh, basketball. I love basketball. I'm a fan of Maccabi Tel Aviv. You know, Maccabi Tel Aviv, our team in Tel Aviv, we won last year the Euro Cup. We beat all the Europeans, including Czeska, Moskva, Moscow. And we, got, we, we came home with a big trophy, you know, and showed everybody, look, you know, we, we are the best team, Maccabi Tel Aviv. So I like basketball, so I said, okay, if they have basketball, I'll go. So I went, and there was no monastery, no monks, no nuns, and it was beautiful grounds. We had basketball, we had fun, we had dinner. And then after dinner, those Baptists did a very tricky thing. <laughs> Those Baptists, they said, okay, they had many, they, they did an outreach to, the, to, this, to this University of Florida, which is uh, many internationals there. So they had, I don't know, maybe 50 people or so foreigners. So they said, okay, we're going to divide you into numbers. One, two, three, four, five. One, two, three, four, five. And here we are in small groups. Everyone is, everyone is taken to a group. And here we sit with five people and we're having a Bible study. So I brought my Hebrew Bible and I'm going to this Bible study. I have no clue what's going on. And there's this precious lady with a strong southern accent. You may not know what is a southern accent. It's, you know, those Americans who live in the south, they have a very strong southern accent. Um, and, and she goes, tonight we're going to read from the book of John. <laughs> I said, what did she say? <laughs> I had no clue what she said. So I asked her, what did she say? She said, the book of John. Open the book of John. We're going to read from there. Oh, yes, of course, the book of John, of course. <laughs> I don't have the book of John. <laughs> Who's John? I have no clue what you're talking about. <laughs> Anyhow, this precious lady reads, God is love, for God so loved the world that he gave his all begotten son, that whosoever shall believe in him have eternal life. And when I heard the gospel for the second time, I start crying. But again, the conviction of the Holy Spirit. But again, I was like, I'm from the Israeli Air Force. We are tough Israelis. <laughs> I'm just going to wait for her to finish so I can get out. And as soon as this was finished, I said, thank you. And I ran to my room, closed the door. I did this. Whew. Oh, enough of this. And then here I am by myself in the room, and I'm thinking for the second time, what I heard. And what happens 
when you hear the truth. And then you believe the truth. What happens? We set you free. Hallelujah. Well, I'm a testimony here that I was set free that night. Because that evening, I don't know how to explain to you. The presence of God was so strong in that room. Somehow I knew that as a Jew, I may know about God. As a Jew, I know all the things. I can tell you the stories of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, uh, Moses, the great exodus, the feast, the holidays. I know all those things. I know about God. I know about the Bible. But I realized in that place that I don't know him. I do not have a personal relationship with him. And I'm a sinner. That I need a savior. And as I would start crying and the, the power of the Holy Spirit just hit me. And here I was in the room crying and I fell on my knees saying, Abba, Father, I repent, Lord. I ask forgiveness for my sin and I need a savior. I need Yeshua to be the Lamb of God, the atonement for my sin because we don't have the temple anymore. We don't have sacrifices anymore. Yeshua is the perfect Lamb of God. He paid the price and it is finished. And when I did this, I want you to know literally I felt something lifted off of me and I was born again. The Lord gave me a new heart and a new spirit. And I started praising him and glorifying his name. And then I said, I need to get myself a New Testament. I don't know anything about this Jesus. (laughs) So I went out and got the New Testament. And that night I just read, read and read, read the whole New Testament. I was so hungry because I want to know more about this Jesus. See, when you come to know him, when you meet him, when you get to know him and you ask him into your life, he will change your life. Right. Amen? Amen? So, as we go back to that scripture in Ezekiel, that's really the fulfillment. You know, many times Christians, they may read that scripture and stop here and they say, yeah, God promised you bring us, bring the people of Israel back to the land. And that's the end of the story. And they think, oh, God has a moving company. No, God doesn't have a moving company. God has a plan, a plan of salvation. You must continue reading it. So I'd like, with your permission, to read another few verses. Verse 25. Then I will sprinkle clean water on you, and it shall be clean. I will cleanse you from all your filthiness and from all your idols. I will give you a new heart. And put a new spirit within you. I will take the heart of stone out of your flesh and give you out of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statues. You'll keep my judgments and do them. Then you should dwell in the land that I gave to your fathers. You'll be my people and I will be your God. So what do we see here? That God has a plan of salvation for the Jewish people. For the people of Israel. Amen. Well, brothers and sisters, I'm standing here as a living testimony that the scripture we just read is being fulfilled in front of your eyes. Now, I want to make it very clear. I'm not standing here before you because of my beautiful Jewish nose (laughs) or my beautiful Middle Eastern beard or because, oh, look at me. I was in the Israeli Air Force. Look at me. You know, all those things are filthy rags before God. I'm standing here before you because of one thing, the blood of the Lamb. I'm standing here before you because of the grace of God. I didn't deserve it. I was a sinner. I needed Yeshua. I needed Jesus. I needed a Savior to come into my life and cleanse me 
and gave me a new heart and a new spirit. And, I, and, and when I welcomed him, he just gave me new life. Amen? That's what it's all about. You see, what we are seeing today, we're seeing the scriptures being fulfilled in front of our eyes. You will say, wow, Avi, this is wonderful. But what does this have to do with the end times? Oh, it has to do everything with the end times. For almost 2,000 years, the body of Christ was basically half. Why? Well, it was mostly born-again Christians or born-again Gentiles who have come to know the faith. Meanwhile, the Jewish people were dispersed throughout those countries until he said, I'll bring them back to the land. But then he said, after I bring them to the land, what am I going to do? I'm going to pour out my spirit on them. And I'm standing here as a living testimony that that scripture is being fulfilled. You're not very excited about it. Okay. (laughs) Okay, maybe I should say it in a different way. Let's see. I tell you what, let's go to the New Testament. Let's, let's read the prophecy of the greatest prophet that ever lived. And his name is Jesus. Amen? The Messiah. Let's go to Matthew 23. You believe his word? Yes? Good. Just checking I'm in the right place. <laughs> Matthew 23. Here is the words of Jesus in Jerusalem. And in verse 37, he goes, Yerushalayim, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. The one who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her, how often I wanted to gather your children together as a hen gathered her chicks under her wings, but you were not willing. See, your house is left to you desolate. Let's stop here for a second. Here is Jesus crying, lamenting, praying for Jerusalem, and he's saying, your house will be desolate. Now, we are smart because we know 70 AD, the temple was destroyed 40 years later. But let me stop you for a second because there's another chapter where Jesus goes in the temple when the temple was in existing, and he was there, and he said, I will destroy this temple, and I will rebuild it in three days. Right? How did the people react to that? Oh, man, they didn't like that. They said, who do you think you are going to destroy this temple, rebuild it in three days? What do you think? You're Superman? What is this? That's impossible. They didn't believe him. In fact, some people thought that he's a false prophet. They will take a stone and throw at him. But you see, he's not a false prophet. He is the prophet. He is the Messiah. And what he said came to pass. In fact, everything he said came to pass. He knew what's coming. 40 years later, 70 AD, the destruction of the temple. But then he goes and says this in verse 39. For I say to you, you shall see me no more until you say, stop. Who is he talking to? Is he talking to the Roman soldiers? To the Greeks? Who is he talking to? He's talking to the Jewish people, his own people, the Jewish people. And he's telling them, guys, you're not going to see me until you say, Baruch haba b'shem Adonai. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. By the way, this was Hebrew in case you were wondering. Guess what? This prophecy we just read is being fulfilled in our days. I don't know about you, but this gets me excited. Why? Well, let me give you statistics. 
1948, when Israel declared independence, there was about half a million, 600,000 Jews in the land of Israel. How many believers were then? I wasn't born, but I was asking. And we say probably there were a handful of born-again believers in the land then, 1948. In 1967, what happened in 1967? The Six-Day War. And after almost 1,900 years, we, the Jews, were able to go back to the Wailing Wall and pray at the Wailing Wall freely, because we couldn't do it before that, because of the Muslim uh, uh, religion and the restrictions they gave us at that time. So in 1967, again, Jerusalem is freed, and we have democracy of freedom of religion, and Jews could go back to the Wailing Wall and pray. When they took over uh, the, the old city and the, and, and, uh, and the Wailing Wall in 1967, when the souls came there, which was, they stood there, they started crying, and then a rabbi came and blew the shofar in 1967, the Six-Day War. That same day, he blew the shofar and he said, we have entered the Messianic age, which is interesting. How many believers were then? I was a little boy by then. And I was told that probably all over the land at that time, there were maybe a handful of small fellowships like home groups all over the land of Israel. That's it. Now we are in 2016. How many believers are in the land of Israel today? Would you like to know? Yes. Only two people. You're not very excited. <laughs> I, I'm going to come next week. See you. Bye. <laughs> Would you like to know? Today in Israel, there are more than 250 local congregations all over the land of Israel. I'm talking Hebrew-speaking Jewish, Arabic-speaking Russian, Russian immigrants, and some French, and also I'm Harit from Ethiopia of new immigrants. We have so many congregations all over the land of Israel. We don't know exactly how many we are, but we say anywhere between 10,000 to 15,000 born-again believers in the land of Israel. Now that's exciting. What God has done even in the last 20 years. I came to the Lord in 84, 32 years ago. I remember the body of Christ was so small. But today when we have a conference, we don't know any because we are so many now. It's, it's grown. So what am I telling you? What I'm telling you is very simple. God, the Holy Spirit today, is removing the veil from the Jewish people. And they see Yeshua, Jesus, the Jewish Messiah, like never before. Now, that's exciting. Now, you will say, well, I have another few minutes. You will say, what about the Arabs? Okay, let me tell you. You want to hear some testimonies? Listen, all over the Middle East, God, the Holy Spirit, is working. And we see more and more Muslims every day are receiving visions and dreams of Jesus. And they're coming to faith. I'll give an example. For the last few years, I will say for the last 10 years, I've been involved with a movement called Isaiah 19 Movement. Highway. So whenever you have a chance to read Isaiah 19, it talks about Egypt, the turmoil in Egypt, and there will be a highway from Egypt to Assyria. And then the end, you have to read the end of the chapter because you need to know how it ends up. And the end is good news. It says that Egypt, Assyria, and then Assyria is not just Syria, it's the kingdom of Assyria that covered Turkey, Iraq, uh, uh, Syria, uh, Jordan, Lebanon, all these countries. And he said, all these people are going to come with Israel and with Egypt, and they will all know the Lord and be as one. Now, how can this happen? Only through Jesus. He is the way, 
the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through him. Amen? So we have been seeing in the last few years all the turmoil that has happened in Egypt and the Square and in Syria and all this. God is shaking the Muslim world where many Muslims are fed up with the fundamentalist Islam. You know, they have an agenda in case you don't know. They have an agenda to force their caliphate, the Muslim caliphate, and rule with the Sharia law. In case you don't know what I'm talking about, I said this, you study it and find out because this is pure evil. Let me explain to you. Their, their vision is to convert all the infidels to the pure religion, and that's Islam. Who are the infidels? Jews and Christians. We are in the same boat. We are stuck together, guys. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. <laughs> they have an agenda, and they believe that. But meanwhile, most of the Muslims, they're fed up with this. They're fed up. They want have freedom. They want something meaningful for their life. The, I tell you, the Muslims today are so open to the gospel. In fact, in August, let me just share this with you. In August, we are planning to have an outreach of Jewish and Arab believers from Israel going to Greece for one purpose, to reach out to the refugees in the tents in Greece. And we've had so many testimonies. And I met ex-Muslims that had visions of, of Jesus, and they were looking for someone to tell them about Jesus. And, they went, and when they, they heard somebody who was a believer and sharing the gospel, and they prayed, and they are so hungry, they want, they're looking for the meaning of life. This is what God is doing in the Middle East today. <coughs> Muslims are coming to the Lord. Jews are coming to the Lord. Hi, we are, the, we are on the right track, guys. Because we live in the end times. Do you believe that? Yes. So the question is, what do we do? Oh, let's go and have fun at the beach of Tel Aviv. Who cares? No. Like you have seen in the video, we have a job to do. Pray, worship, share the gospel, and make disciples. You see, the enemy, Satan, knows his time is up. And that's why he's fighting. And it's going to get worse and worse. This world is going to get darker and darker, guys. But the good news is that the light of Yeshua is going to shine brighter and brighter through us, through you and me. Amen? Do I have another five minutes for another testimony? Pastor, yeah? Okay, I'll take another five minutes. This is a beautiful testimony to the glory of God. I have many testimonies. I'll just take this one. You see, we have this uh, Dugit, this evangelistic center in downtown Tel Aviv. It's basically, it's a coffee shop. It's in the center of Tel Aviv. Many people walk by the streets. It's beautiful weather, so people just go there. And uh, we have music, and many times we have teams. We go out with music and invite people for a cup of coffee. So um, one morning, I opened the coffee shop, and the guy came in, and... Uh, he said, uh, do you give free cup of coffee here? I said, sure. So I, I sat down, I fixed him a cup of coffee, and I looked at him, and I said, this guy's not Jewish. He must be Palestinian Muslim. So I tell him, uh, here's your coffee. What is your name? He goes, Suheb. I said, where are you from? Hebron. Hebron, that's a, a West Bank. So I knew he's a Palestinian Muslim. So I said, oh, well, in Arabic, halan usalan, we welcome you. And after I drank his coffee, he said, well, uh, uh, last night I was in the, by the beach, and I saw some of your friends playing the guitars by the beach, and they told me I can come here for a free cup of coffee. That's why I came. I said, wonderful, good, good. 
And he said, well, I want to talk to you because they were talking to me about God. I said, yeah. Well, I have some questions. I said, wonderful. He said, but first I want to tell you my story. I said, sure, no problem. Tell me your story. So here comes his story. He said, I was born in Hebron in a Muslim family. In fact, when I was born, I, my mother died, so my father married another woman. You know, in the Muslim religion, they can marry four women. So um, basically, I never knew my mother or my family, so basically I grew up in school and then on the streets. So as a young teenager, I joined the, the Hamas and the Muslim Brotherhood. I said, great. And then, and then he continues. <coughs> and then he continues. You know, I saw one of my friends. And well, they told us, you know, you Jews, you took our land and, and what you have done to us. And, and I could see this, you know. And yeah. And then he goes. By the way, one of my friends was preparing a bomb, and then it exploded in his hands, and he died. And it really shook me. And, and that's why I left Hebron. And I said, great. I have a suicide bomber in my coffee shop. I must be crazy. What am I doing? Anyhow, after he tells me this, he said, um, I left Hebron, so I went to Bethlehem, because in Bethlehem there are more Christian Arabs there, and I said, I'm better there. Well, the Muslim Brotherhood went after him, the Hamas guys, they went after him and they said, we want you to come back. We've trained you, we want you to come back to be a suicide bomb. He said, no, I don't want to. I'm fed up with this. So they called some gangsters, and they started beating him on the streets of Bethlehem, stabbed him, and left him bled to bleed on the streets of Bethlehem. Somebody called the ambulance, and they took him to the hospital. So he said, I was in a hospital in Bethlehem for a month recuperating from this. And then when I got better after a couple of months, I decided, you know, it's not safe for me, Bethlehem or Hebron. It's better I go with the Jews. So I sneak out somehow through the fence and I came to Tel Aviv. So I'm, I'm living in Tel Aviv and, and, uh, and uh, you know, I, I said, what are you doing? He said, well, I didn't have a job. So I, I went to a restaurant and they need somebody to wash the dishes. So I, be, I washed the dishes in the restaurant there and they gave me a job. I said, oh, well, that's nice. And what do you do? Well, I sleep, you know, in the evening, it's nice weather, so I just sleep there by the beach, and that's how I met your group. I said, oh, okay. So what's the question? He goes, okay, this, I have to ask you this. Now, in Israel, when we talk, we really talk very close, very close. <laughs> you know, every time I go to Europe or to America, I always have to remind myself, <laughs> you have to give space. <laughs> so... With your permission, I'll pick on you, brother. Okay? <laughs> so here, I'm sitting with this guy, Suhab. Now, if you don't mind just to sit normal, yeah, thank you. <laughs> so we're sitting next to each other, and he gets closer to me, and he goes this. Listen to this. Avi, why Allah, God, hates me? And then I realized that's all he knows. God of hate and violence. That's all he knows. That's what Islam teaches. So I looked at him and I said, God, Allah doesn't hate you. He loves you. He loves you and he has a plan for your life. In fact, Satan hates you and he tried to destroy you and kill you. But I'm so happy you came here to tell you that God loves you so much <laughs> that he gave his only Messiah, mm -hmm. the Lamb of God, to be atonement for your sin. And as I shared this with him, I could see he's almost crying. And I just gave him a big hand. I said, and I love you, brother. <laughs> and as I did that, that guy just broke in tears. See, all his life, that's all he knew. God of violence. Bloodshed and hatred. And as I did that, he looked to me and he said, okay, what must I do? So I said, give me your hands. So I took his hands and we prayed right there. He accepted Jesus Amen. as his personal Amen. Savior Wonderful. and Lord. Wonderful. Hallelujah. Amen.
Now, this was just the beginning. Would you like to hear the rest of the story? Because we start discipling him, and I baptized him. And think, you know, I was in the Israeli Air Force. And then up to I was 45 years old, every month I would go to the, the reserves in the army. And we have to do that. So here I am, <laughs> baptizing a Jew from the Israeli Air Force, baptizing a Palestinian who was a Muslim, ex-Muslim. And then we brought him to the congregation, and people in the congregation just loved him. And here we are worshiping in Hebrew, Yeshua, hallelujah, in Hebrew. And here is Suhab, an Arab. <laughs> Palestinian, ex-Muslim, worshiping with us in Hebrew, because he speaks Hebrew as well. It was wonderful. And people invited him to their homes and really uh, brought him clothes and food. He just loved it. And then a couple of weeks later, he disappeared. We looked for him everywhere. We called him. With nothing. We didn't know what happened to Suhem. So all we could do is pray, because eventually we didn't know what, what happened to him. Well, a week later, he calls me, and I said, so where are you? What's wrong? He said, oh, I mean, this is what happened. I, I walk on the street, and the police arrested me and asked me for my ID, and then they, re they realized I'm Palestinian. I don't have permission to live in Israel, so I was illegal, you know? So they arrested me and put him in jail. I said, yeah, I understand that. He said, it's okay, it's okay. I'm in jail in the north of, of Israel in, in the city called Betchan right there, and he said, uh, listen, I want you to come tomorrow and bring me some clothes and underwear and, and toiletries, and most important, bring me an angel, which means a Bible. I said, sure, no problem. Tomorrow morning, can I come tomorrow? Yeah, come tomorrow morning. I said, no problem, brother. So my wife and I, we took the car, we drove from Tel Aviv all the way, drove for two hours to the north to Betchan, and this, uh, this, this big building, big jail, where they keep thousands of Palestinians that are either terrorists or illegal when they put them there. And here we come in this, this big building, and there's a big line, because they, Israel, we're a democratic country, we allow uh, Arab families to visit people in jail. We allow this. I mean, if it was vice versa, it doesn't happen. But never mind. So, so here we are standing in line, and I'm surrounded with Muslim families. Okay? Now, can you just imagine for a moment, here's the big building, and there's a big line, and me and my wife standing there, and I look at those people, they know I'm Jewish, and <laughs> I know they're Arab Muslims, and they look at me, and they are angry. There's hatred in their eyes, because they're thinking, what is this Jew and his wife coming here? Do they have a spy? They probably thought I worked for the Mossad, which is the secret <laughs> services, whatever you call it here in English. And I realize I'm in trouble. I mean, I hope they won't stab me or beat me up by the time I get to the door, you know? So what do I do? So my wife and I, we look at each other. Okay. Just praying in tongues. What can we do? So we get to the door of the jail, and there is an Israeli policeman there. And he looks to me and he said, who are you? I said, my name is Avi Mizrahi. Yes, you're Jewish, yeah. Well, what are you doing here? I came to visit Suheb. And here goes the question. You came to visit Suheb? What do you have to do with Suheb? Now, what do I tell him? I don't work for the secret agent or the, you know, Mossad or something. And I said, oh, Lord, help, help, help. And the Holy Spirit just inspires me and tells me, I'm giving you a pulpit, use it. Amen. Well, we preachers, we know what to do, right? Okay, okay, you see, policemen. And now I'm raising my voice. And I have a captive audience of 20, 30 Muslims listening to me. 
And I said, you see, policeman, the, the reason I'm here to visit Suhab because I have a coffee shop in Tel Aviv, and Suhab came to visit me, and we became very friends. And we uh, became friends because, you know, we believe in this prophet, Yeshua. The Muslims believe that he was a prophet. We believe in this prophet, Yeshua. He taught us how we can love our enemies. And through him, we can love one another because he's the way, the truth, and life. No one comes to the Father but through him because he's the Prince of Peace. So if we really believe him and trust in him, he will put peace in our hearts. And that's why I came to Suhaib. I brought him to those stuff because he's my brother. The policeman was in total shock. <laughs> those 20, 30 uh, Muslims, they were totally shocked. I mean, they, didn't have, they, were, they, they never thought they would hear from a Jew about this prophet Yeshua that is even written in the Quran. So this policeman went to the microphone of the jail and said this, Suhab, come quickly. There's a prophet here. I've come to visit you. <laughs> now, this is a riot. I'm like, oi vey, what's happening here? So I'm going to see Suhab and I'm bringing him all this stuff and talk to him, praying with him. <laughs> and then he said, Avi, they will release me in a week or so. They will send me back to, you know, Bethlehem and so. But I'll try to come by and say hi. You know, okay, I said, no problem. We're praying for you. If you need anything, let us know. And indeed, a week later, he was released and he came by just to say goodbye. And he said, Avi, you must understand what happened. What do you mean, what happened? He said, Avi, listen to this. Remember when you came to the jail to visit me and brought me the stuff? The policeman in, in, in the door, he was so confused that he used the microphone of the whole jail. <laughs> and the whole jail heard that the prophet of God came to visit Suhab. <laughs> I said, okay, so what happened? He said, you will not believe every five minutes, Muslims and terrorists will come to my cell, <laughs> to that room, and ask me, we heard the prophet has come to visit you. What did he say? So he said, I will open the Injil, I will open the New Testament, and I have Bible studies, and tell them what Jesus taught. Then he had Bible studies and sharing the gospel with all these Muslims. <laughs> Hallelujah. I mean, what are the chances of me going to something like this? No way, Jose. But God used that funny situation for the glory of God. Hallelujah. This is what God is doing in our days. And we hear testimonies like this over and over again. In Egypt, in Turkey, in Lebanon, in Syria, in Iraq. Do you know, I'll just throw this before I finish. Did you know that the biggest church in the Middle East is the underground church in Iran? I met Iranians, and they say the underground church in Iran is growing like crazy. The people are fed up with Khomeini and all this stuff. This is what God is doing in the Middle East today. Amen. Brothers and sisters, I don't want you to be ignorant of what God is doing in our days. Hallelujah. You can go and watch BBC and CNN and hear the bad news, but I've come this morning to bring you the good news. Jesus is alive. He is coming back. Yeah. And until he comes back, we need to preach the gospel. Make disciples. Pray. Because we are together. Pastor David, will you come? Together, we are the new man. The one new man. The bride that God is preparing for his return. Amen. Thank you very much, and God bless you. Amen. 
Thank you for listening to this podcast. You can also watch the Sermon of the Month video at youtube.com forward slash Moira Pentecostal or download the sermon video through our iTunes video podcast. For more information, visit us at www.mpc.org.uk. Thank you.